I got to sit and listen to him over and over again in country churches. Thankfully, he's not the kind of preacher where he only prepared one and we had to listen to them all again um, at multiple churches. But this is um, where I got my love of God and, and showing other people about who God is and the difference he can make in his life. So it's really exciting to have Dad here preaching for us today. This is his first sermon since he's retired. So, you know, if he just ducks out and has a cup of tea halfway through, like he's on a different time frame now to what he used to be. But um, we're really glad that you are here today. So let me pray for you and then we're just going to sit wide-eyed um, listening. If anyone wants to shout out inappropriate things at any time, go for it. No, don't, don't do that. All right. Father God, we want to thank you so much that we are in a place where we can freely worship you. We know that today it's no accident that we are all here and we ask that you'll prepare our hearts and minds to what you want us to learn through Dad today. Pray that you will bless him, let your Holy Spirit fill this space in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> Have you noticed that when you're retired, people treat you differently? Everyone else on the stage navigated all these leads quite ably, but as soon as I come up, Sarah has to clear a path for me here. <laughs> See if I'm going to trip over everything. If I do go to sleep halfway through, just gently nudge me. <clears throat> you know, this is a somewhat strange situation because for after nearly 40 years in ministry, I'm preaching in a church where my daughter is the pastor. That's just amazing. And also... On top of that, I think my membership transfer to Refresh is almost complete. So uh, you could say I'm one of our parishioners as well. And that's an amazing role reversal, Sarah, for inviting me to preach on this last section of the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> I hope you've had a good breakfast. That will get you through to the end of this sermon, which will be approximately three o'clock. You know, if you've attended here over the last few weeks, you'll have heard various preachers dig into the words, particularly into the words and their meaning of what Jesus said when he gave us the model prayer. And just like the previous preachers in this series, I want to focus particularly on why these words are so important and so relevant to people today, you and I, who believe in Jesus let me start by giving you, seeing if I can navigate this, just because I'm retired, doesn't mean I can't do it. Did it work? I'm supposed to read that up there, but there's so many lights. This is the verse that we'll be looking at today in the New Living Translation. I like the New Living Translation. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. <clears throat> now, if you're used to praying the Lord's Prayer, you might want to say now, hey, isn't there something missing at the end of this verse? Notice verse 13 in the King James Version. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Now the last part of verse 13, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen, <clears throat> is actually not a part of the Lord's Prayer. It's what's called a doxology. And uh, Luke, who also records Jesus giving us the Lord's Prayer, doesn't record the doxology when he records Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And furthermore, the most reliable ancient New Testament manuscripts don't include the doxology either. So this morning, we'll focus on the last part of the Lord's Prayer without the doxology. I also want to point out that depending on which Bible translation you use, Jesus' words can be misunderstood in a way that could give you an incorrect picture of God. If you notice, in the King James Version, it says, And lead us not into temptation. Many people do ask, Does God really lead us into temptation? In other words, is God responsible for us being tempted? Does he really lead us into situations where he knows that we will be assailed with temptations and then tell us to pray, please don't do that? Now, if the answer to these questions is yes, then we're left with the question, why? Why would God tempt us Some people have suggested that God does indeed lead us into temptations so that he can work on and perfecting our characters through those temptations. But although this may at first sound quite plausible and might sound a little bit religious, and though we might try to get God off the hook by saying, yes, he does tempt us, but it's for a good reason. That doesn't sound like the God that I know. And it's certainly not the God that Scripture reveals to us either. Notice what the Apostle James says in his epistle. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember... When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. You know, we should be careful not to interpret Scripture so that we place one inspired writer against another inspired writer. James and Matthew are not at odds with each other and we see that as we look again at the wording in the New Living Translation. They're saying essentially the same thing. Don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. You can see the difference. Don't lead us into temptation 
And don't let us yield to temptation. Don't let us yield to temptation is the better and the more clear translation. When we pray this last part of the Lord's Prayer, we are admitting that our sinful natures are no match for the supernatural forces that are intent on destroying our connectedness with God. Let me just affirm here that God has given us his written word so that he can reveal himself to us through it. We don't have the Bible so that we can indulge our desire to study history, ancient history. We don't have the Bible so that we can be experts in proposing prophetic timelines. We have the scriptures so that we can get a clear picture of what God is really like. You know, our church exists to tell the world, to help the world to see what God is really like. Out there in the world and in other churches, <clears throat> people have a wrong picture, an incorrect picture of God. They see God as saying, worship me or you will be burned forever. Many in the world say, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't bother about me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. But when we look and understand what the Sabbath is all about, we see a God who loves us, who wants to communicate with us, who wants us to spend some special time with him and he with us. In these last words of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is affirming that God is a helper and a rescuer. And praying these words indicates that we want God's help in our daily lives and that we want to be rescued and have a place in his kingdom. It also shows that we believe that God has the ability and has the desire to help us and to rescue us. He helps us in our daily spiritual battles through the presence and the power that draws us to him with the desire to do his will and the desire to be rescued from this old world. You know, you remember, you may remember the old gospel. I'm just a passing through. When Jesus returns, that will be the greatest rescue mission ever. Now clearly, Jesus chose the words of the Lord's Prayer very carefully. They're designed to tell us what God is really like and what we really need from him. He wants us to know that we may have some issues, but he has, or better still, he is the solution to our issues. However, human nature being what it is, we look to ourselves and see our failings. And sometimes we doubt 
God's promise of help and rescue. And perhaps sometimes we even argue with God. Have you ever argued with God? In my early days as a Christian, I used to argue with God. Before I knew what God was really like, I used to argue with him. But then I learned whatever argument I put forward, whatever I came up with, why God couldn't save me, God had a counter to that that destroyed all of my human reasoning. My arguments went like this. You can't save me, God, because I'm not good enough. God countered my argument in his inspired word with only God is truly good. And just so we clearly get the message, he inspired the Apostle Paul to write this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So it is clear. It's very clear. I am not good enough to be saved. And yet God promises to save me. And it's nothing to do with my developing from sinful to not so sinful. Then moving on from not so sinful to somewhat good. Then from somewhat good to very good. And then ultimately from very good to totally good. We are saved by God's goodness. His unconditional love is good. His amazing grace is good. His complete forgiveness is good. His eternal salvation is good. The moment we accept Jesus as our personal saviour, his goodness is credited to our account, as it were, and we are safe and secure in Jesus. My next argument against God's salvation went like this. You can't save me, Lord, because I don't know enough. Really? How much do you need to know in order to be saved? How much do we need to know? Christ. And I want to elaborate on that. But first of all, one of my favorite, favorite arguments with God was, you can't save me, Lord, because I don't do enough. I don't do enough. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, humankind has been asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Even those who don't outwardly ask this question still feel they have to perform. 
still believe they have to reach some level of correct activity, some level of human behavior modification before God can save them. Now please understand me. I'm not saying that as far as the Christian life goes, anything goes. But salvation is not earned. It's a gift. I want you to remember this saying. Not just because it's a true saying, and I believe it is. But because it may prevent you from focusing on your own achievements and look towards what Jesus has done for you rather than focusing on your failures, focus on his victory. And this is the statement. It's always good and right to do what is good and right. But if we come to believe that we are saved by doing good and right, that's certainly not good and it's definitely not right. Let me repeat it. It's always good and right to do what is good and right. But if we come to believe that we're saved by doing the good and right, that's certainly not good and it's definitely not right. You know, when Paul and Silas were asked, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let's hear that from Jesus' own lips because he confirmed that. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Let me just stop there. Because have is present, isn't it? You have. Jesus doesn't say you may have, you could have, you might have, perhaps, sometime, someplace, somewhere, somehow. No, he says you have eternal life. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death into life. That's where God sees you when you put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. So another argument, as I mentioned, against God's salvation was, you can't save me, Lord, because I don't know enough. Really, though, how much do you need to know in order to be saved? Do we need to be able to explain in detail all of the biblical prophecies? Of course not. Some of us might struggle a bit in that area. Do we need to be up with all the latest end time, end of the world scenarios and timelines? Again, of course not. Such knowledge doesn't contribute to our salvation. There are two things that I believe we need to focus on 
in order to be saved. One, you need to know that you need a saviour. You need to know that you need a saviour. We admit this when we pray that God will help us not to yield to temptation. We're admitting we have an issue. And two, so first is that you need to know that you need a saviour. And the second is you need to know the saviour. The rescuer, the helper, Jesus Christ. The reality is that we sometimes do make mistakes, don't we? You can just nod your heads. Am I the only one? I don't think so. This is what the Apostle James said. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, that's very modern, isn't it? That's very applicable to today. Indeed, we all make mistakes. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We all make mistakes. We need to know the Saviour personally. No wonder the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. That's why whenever someone talks to me and gets into a heated discussion, I won't say argument, but a heated discussion about some aspect of the Bible or doctrine or whatever, when it gets to a place where people are getting a little bit animated and upset, I usually calm things down by asking one question. And my question is, what do you love most about Jesus? And people go, what? What do you love most about Jesus? Because that's what really matters, isn't it? That's what really matters. Here's an interesting question. Have you ever met a know-it-all? Ever met a know-it-all? Now, I have something scribbled out here that I wanted to say, but my wife said, oh, no, don't say that. But I am a bit of a rebel. As I was walking across a car park this morning, I saw this thing on the ground saying, no standing, and I stood right on it. Nothing happened. <laughs> bit of a rebel. So don't tell her that I said this. Here's an interesting question. Have you ever met a know-it-all? Did I just hear someone say I'm married to one? <laughs> really? Have you ever met a know-it-all? Someone, no matter what you tell them, how obscure the information, how 
seemingly impossible that they would ever know. And you tell them, and they always say, I knew that. Thankfully, God is a know-it-all. What does this mean to us right here and now? In reality, it's only because God is a know-it-all that we can pray the Lord's Prayer. If God didn't know everything, he wouldn't be able to help us when we simply pray, don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. He would have to ask for more information. How are you feeling? What are you struggling with? What specific temptations do you want help with? He doesn't ask those questions because he already knows. He's a know-it-all. I heard a preacher once say, and I was only kidding about three o'clock, by the way. I heard a preacher once say, if the sins of a single day were written on our foreheads, we would all wear broad-brimmed hats pulled well down. God knows us all. And he knows it all. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But he still loves. And he still forgives. And he still saves. You know, I saw a cartoon once, many years ago. And it stuck with me because I've noticed how the old devil really tries to disrupt our lives on a Sabbath morning when we're getting ready for church. Anybody ever experienced that? Sabbath morning, you're going to church, And things get heated. Any tense moments in your house this morning? The devil seems to want to do that to us. Anyway, the cartoon was of a husband and a wife getting ready to go to church. And the wife says, let's have a change today. And the husband goes, huh? And she says, yeah. You be pleasant at home and cranky at church. And so, yes, we need to pray the words Jesus gave to us. Lord, don't let us yield to temptation. Please rescue us from the evil one. And we need to believe that he will hear. We need to believe that he will act and believe that he will help and believe that he will save because we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. May God bless us all. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for being there for us. Thank you so much for the words of the Lord's Prayer. We do again ask, Lord, that you would help us not to give in to temptation, 
to deliver us from the evil one, but also, Lord, help us to have clear in our minds that although we make mistakes, you still love, you still forgive, you still save. And it's an unconditional love, and it's a complete forgiveness, and it's a full salvation here and now because we're safe and secure in Jesus Christ. Bless us, each one, as we leave this place, Lord. May we have the peace that you promised that comes only from knowing that we're secure in you. Bless us, we ask in your name. Amen.